We're now going to talk basketball because there is plenty going on both domestically and also internationally. So we thought we'd, well, Coons, the best thing to do is to chat to the, to the, the voice of basketball straight to the top. John Casey joins us. So, John, thanks very much for your time on SEN. Absolute pleasure, boys. Hope you're having a good day. We are. We are. We'll start with the NBL before talking about what the Opals are doing overseas at the moment. It. I mean, it might just be my imagination, but it seems to be an incredibly even season with so many possibilities still out there as we get very close to the playoffs. It sure is. It's been a roller coaster ride for a lot of these teams, and we've got an amazing finish coming up, obviously, round 19 getting underway tonight and round 20 to come, and all games are going to have an influence on the way that the finals shape up. So it's been extraordinary. And, you know, it's been that way for some time in the NBL. The parity is just incredible when you consider that four of the last five seasons have been decided by percentage in terms of who makes finals and who doesn't. And it looks as though we could well have that scenario unfold over the next two weeks or week and a half. And like a, a team like the Adelaide 36 is a second from the bottom, but still absolutely mathematical chance of, of playing in the playoffs. So it's it is quite remarkable. I wanna I wanna start by just looking at the ladder now and seeing United at the top with Wildcats. Are, are they clearly the best two teams in it or are the chasing pack still a legitimate chance? Look, the chasing pack is a legitimate chance, but what I would say is that Melbourne United are clearly the best team. Uh, have been all year. It's a credit to um you know, their coach, Dean Vickerman, Chris Golding, and the team that they've been able to successfully navigate their way through what has been tough times for, for most teams. But uh, they're clearly the best team. They've been on top of the ladder every week. And the top four has changed every week, bar one, this season. So, But they've been the constant at the top. The Perth Wildcats had a shaky start to the season. And at one stage, they were two and five and in eighth position uh, five weeks into the season. But they've resurrected that and now sit there in second position. But I, I really give Tasmania a good shot at it and Illawarra have been the Cinderella story and the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers both have a lot of talent so uh, while Melbourne have been dominant and deserve uh, deservedly will get the regular season championship um, there are some teams behind them that uh, that can certainly test them and in a three-game semi-final series or a five-game championship deciding series uh, they're going to have to play well Melbourne because the other teams um, you know are finding form. You mentioned the Kings and Hawks on that next rung down. They play each other on Sunday. How could the winner of that possibly sort of affect uh, the outcome in that race for finals? Well, of course, um, you know, the Hawks have got a big weekend playing in New Zealand before getting to Sydney on Sunday. And, uh, you know, look, they can still miss the their fourth at the moment coming into this second last round, Coons, but they could still miss the finals and so could the Sydney Kings. And there's such a great rivalry between Sydney and, in inverted commas, their little brother, the Illawarra Hawks. And the Hawks would like nothing more than to knock the Sydney Kings out of contention. And, of course, mm-hmm. the two-time defending champions have had a roller coaster ride like most of these teams. And, uh, well, they're looking a little shaky at the moment. There's some work to do. But the Hawks fans would love that. Um, you would have to say that there's probably not enough room in the top six for Sydney and Illawarra. So, so much riding on that game on Sunday afternoon in Sydney. And what about the Breakers? They're sitting just below the playing tournament line at the moment. You mentioned there's around 19 and 20 to go, but the Breakers have actually got three games to go in that time. So could they shape it as well? 
Without a doubt, Coons. Look, New Zealand, I think, along with Melbourne, have the most talent. Or certainly, if you look at their, their list on paper, uh, the most talent. But, of course, they've had injury problems as well. Most recently, Anthony Lamb, their key player, um, you know, he was injured last round and isn't going to play again. So that's a huge problem for them. Uh, and they've sort of had an up-and-down year as well. But um, at their best, certainly they would be in the mix. But now that Anthony Lamb is unavailable, I don't know whether or not uh, they've got enough juice to really be able to challenge teams, particularly over a three- and five-game series that the playoffs will present. Now, I think last time we spoke to you, we were chatting about Scott Ninnis and the fact that he'd taken over at uh, the 36ers and was doing okay. He's now doing better than okay has he done enough to get the job permanently? Does he want it? Look, he, he <laughs> well, certainly wants question. it. Uh, he certainly is pitching up for it, and he certainly wants it. I joked to him post-game when I was interviewing him last week that um, Grant Kelly, the owner of the 36ers, was absent from the game last week because he was unwell. And uh, in the post-game uh, press conference, well, not so much a press conference, but in front of their um, their corporate partners, I suggested to... Uh, to Scott, that given that the owner, Grant, wasn't here, maybe we should just draw up a contract and sign it right now. And his reaction was, <laughs> where's the pen? He couldn't <laughs> say it quickly enough, but he was happy to sign. Now, look, I, in my eyes, he's done enough. I know Brian Gorgian and Trevor Gleeson are names that continually get mentioned in terms of perhaps, uh, you know, being in the running for the job. Uh, I, I think Scott Ninnis has done enough. I wasn't sure. I thought that, that they probably should leave it a little bit longer. But now, the further we go into it and the further you see what Scott Ninnis has done with this team, I think um, he's certainly done enough to deserve the role next season. I mean, in the last four games that they've played or the last five games that they've played where they've been able to win four of them, They've had six players have a season high in terms of points production. So he's clearly had an influence on getting all the players to be able to play their best and also for them to play as a team. There was a disconnect earlier in the season, uh, but he's been able to seemingly solve a lot of the problems that they had and make these players all perform at their optimum. And I think from a coaching perspective, you can't ask for a coach to do much more than that. So I'd say give Scott Ninnis the job for next season. I think he deserves it. So he's a bit of a, a favourite son at the 36ers, having played there and also having coached the 36ers before. Watching him now, is he a different coach? Does he, are the players playing a different style under, under him now or is it more of the same from the past? I'm interested because it's very rare for a coach to come back and have a second crack at the same team in any sport. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it certainly wasn't on the radar of Scott Ninnis uh, just a few years ago because he thought he was done and dusted with basketball. He'd been there, as you say, as a great player and then had an opportunity as a coach. And he was basically had signed away that basketball was in the past and he was going to move on with his life and his business interests that he has. Uh, and then he was approached by his junior club, South Adelaide, to come back and help them. They were going through a tough patch and they really needed someone to come in and be a figurehead and a coach, but also resurrect the club just off the court as well. His family was so heavily involved in the past by his father's input that um, he begrudged, or not begrudgingly, but they had to twist his arm to actually get him involved. And he got involved. He took the team from last to the NBL one championship, backed it up with another good season last season. And then this 36ers job came around and he was asked if he would help out. And he's always said he'd do anything he can to help the 36ers. It's part of his life, a big part of his life. And so he was happy to help out. Uh, and he's really enjoyed the role more than he thought he would. 
And um, he did say to me a few weeks ago that this time around he's a much different coach because the first time when Scott Ninnis was coach of the team back in 2009-2010, he, he took them to the playoffs the first year he was there and then they finished last in 2010. And he confided in me that part of the problem back then was he listened to too many people, too much outside noise. He was his first go at a head coach's role and he took you know, advice from a lot of people and took it on board. This time around, he's doing it the way he thinks it needs to be done. So a lot of it is his own stuff and just... So he, he brought back joy to the players, and that was his key when he was announced as the coach. Let's just have fun here. Yes, playing basketball is a job, but it's a great job. Just have some fun, follow directions. We'll put structures in place, and they are a little more structured now, and enjoy it. And I think that uh, you mould all that together, and that's what's helped them get the success that they have, where, as you say, they're on the cusp of making the finals here, which um, you know didn't seem likely at the halfway stage of the season when they were really struggling. Uh, it, it sounds like he's been able to come in and turn around the culture of the 36ers in a really short period. Would you say that that has been the biggest issue with Adelaide over the past, oh, you could say, two, two and a half seasons now? I mean, this goes back to to when uh, Robert Franks, the import, was you know, quit, released, however you want to you want to say it. This has been bubbling away in terms of that, that culture for a while at the Adelaide 36ers. Do you, do you think that's been the biggest issue over the last couple of seasons, why they haven't had success? Because they've had a really talented roster. Yeah, they have. Uh, you know, two seasons ago, they had the best roster in in the competition and didn't play finals. So obviously, yes, it's not doesn't always come down to the playing personnel. But I think the culture issues that you talk about there, Coons, are certainly an area that they've had to get better at. And Scott Ninnis has certainly helped them with that. I was really pleased to see the front office, Nick Babato, the CEO, take responsibility when they released coach CJ Bruton earlier uh, or late last year and say, look, we've got some things wrong in the front office as well. We haven't done it as well as we could have and we're going to address that and they're going to make changes and bringing a, a basketball GM, which they haven't had now for a couple of years. But I, I think it, it did look as though and they've had uh, you know, a little bit like they were a little bit rudderless where they were heading and they had a turnover of coaches, they had a turnover of players, uh, and they've struggled really to get that culture uh, where it needs to be. Um, but they do have the personnel there to do it, and Jason Cadiz is a good example of that, one of the most experienced players currently in the NBL who came to Adelaide, and he's had an influence, Mitch McCarron's had an influence, and it's a credit to those two guys who are veterans who are used to playing and starting and big minutes and they've been sent to the bench and been made to play a role and they've embraced it. So I think whatever Scott Ninnis has been able to do, to do to convince these players that being part of this team is not just about you, it's about playing for one another, is a credit again to him and to the players for buying in. But I think the culture from uh, that Scott Ninnis has been able to develop there in a short space of time is a very positive vibe. And that's another reason why I think he deserves to get the job because, as I say, I don't know if you could ask a coach to do much more than what he's been able to do. And who's not to say that it doesn't get better and they recruit next year a little bit better as well, that they can hopefully get back in the in the mix because they haven't qualified for finals for the last five seasons and 10 of the last 14. So it's been lean pickings by the lofty standards of one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. But they appear to be on the right direction with Scott Ninnis, and that culture is certainly a big part of it. Yeah, and John, before we let you go, we've got to ask you about the Opals. Um, they were, 
I'm not sure whether they were lucky to to escape with the the win over Brazil because it's it's tough in uh, in enemy territory to win, but they did have a big lead there at one point before it got uh, pegged right back. But in the end, they, they got the victory over Brazil. What were your thoughts on on what you've sampled? Yes, look, they it was a tough game for them. As you mentioned, they had a big lead, led by 14 in the shadows of half time, And then Brazil got back in front in the last quarter and were really making a run. So the fact that they were able to close it out and get across the line is a huge win for the Opals because they're in a group with Brazil, Germany and Serbia and Australia make up the four. Now, three of those teams go through to the Olympics in Paris. So that win today against Brazil basically leaves Australia needing to win just one more game. Uh, and they play Germany on Sunday morning, and Germany ranked 25 in the world. Now, they actually upset Serbia today. So that won't be an easy game for them, but they're now just one win away from guaranteeing their spot at the Olympics. And, and that's just a huge result for them. I was really pleased for the team and the way that they closed it out because they were challenged down the stretch here. And Ezzy Magbagor had her best ever game for Australia. She led all scoring with 18 points, had seven rebounds and four blocks. And she and Kayla George made two big defensive plays when Brazil were threatening to win the game on the buzzer that got them across the line. So uh, Ezzy Magbagor is a huge talent and is rapidly approaching the best player that we've got at the moment. Um, and as we know, Lauren Jackson is with the 12 and played today in Brazil, and she's aiming to go to her fifth Olympics. So there's a lot for the Opals to play for, uh, in particular their number three in the world, and after the disappointment of Tokyo where they finished eighth, uh, they'd like to see themselves back on the podium in Paris, and that certainly is achievable. Uh, the world number one, the USA, they escaped today in their qualifier, although they have qualified as the world champions, but in a game against Belgium today, they were down nine at three-quarter time and needed a tip-in on the buzzer to win. So, you know, it can changes pretty quickly in terms of the pecking order in world basketball and for the Opals. Um, look, if they can get to Tokyo on that one big step they took today, there's nothing to say uh, that they can't win gold and certainly they'd like to be on the podium and expect to be on the podium when they get to Paris. Now, Case, we can't let you go. I know you love your hoops, but you're also a passionate footy man. It's been a big day in South Australia, particularly at Alberton, with um, Warren Treadway being announced as the newest board member at Port Adelaide. Just tipped uh, another Port Adelaide favourite in Bruce Abernathy, 50.9% of the vote. So it was a pretty close one. 199 votes separated the two men. What's been the initial reaction from Port Adelaide supporters and and the footy-loving public in South Australia? Yeah, I think Warren Treadray has a lot of support here and has done some great things for the club, as we all know, on the field. And I, I think he brings a lot to the table. And you're right, it was a thrilling uh, result, wasn't it, really, when you consider 200 votes separated them out of the 10,000-plus that were recorded. So, I mean, a lot of people, and George Fiacci, a former club great and former board member, suggested they both should be on the board. And I think they both have a bit to offer. And certainly Bruce Abernethy has been on the board in the past uh, and it would, be, would have been a great addition as well. But I guess a lot of the noise is going to be about Treaders and what he had to say last year when he said that Ken Hinckley had to go. So uh, he's going to have to change his course a little bit on that. But I think he'll be a great addition for Port Adelaide. But I also think that... Uh, Port Adelaide's uh, opponents and the anti-Port Adelaide movement here in South Australia, which is pretty strong, are going to enjoy watching this from the sidelines. And we watch very closely and commenting uh, along the way and offering advice. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, that's the way that it's unfolded. I think uh, the Port Adelaide faithful have got a good guy in Warren Treadray and what he's going to bring to the table. 
Do you have concerns about that, though, given he was so vocal um, about Ken Hinckley? Uh, untenable was the word that mm. he used. So, uh, and now he walks into the club. Like, surely that just creates tension from day one. Well, it, it's not the... Uh, it's suboptimal, shall we say, Coons, isn't it? <laughs> it's not the ideal way that you'd like to, uh, to have things unfold. But having said that... Uh, I don't think that it's... Uh, when you're sitting around the board table, you need varying points of view. You don't want everyone to be exactly aligned and heading in the straight, you know, the one direction. There needs to be input from all different angles and then find a path as you as you work your way through it. So not ideal. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, the results now are going to add even more interest to it if uh, Port Adelaide get off to a good start and they do have a kind draw and people are predicting they might go 6-1 and one in their first seven games. Well, perhaps that won't be uh, acknowledged as such. But if things start to go awry, then, uh, as I say, I think the, um, the anti-Port Adelaide fans will be having a lot of fun with it and what his comments were. But um, it is interesting, you know, I think that, um, you know, for, for Warren Treadray, when he walks back into the club there and having that first discussion with the coach and when they get together, it's not going to be, uh, you know, fantastic it's a relationship they're going to have to work on but uh, it is what it is now and uh, they're expecting a very good season port adelaide um so fingers crossed that it unfolds that way for them because um they've been close without really having that great success in finals that they've wanted and ken hinckley i think is, is a great coach and has done a great job there but he has been there a long time and when you've been there a long time and you haven't made a grand final then you know, people start to wonder if you're the right person for the job. But um, it's uh, going to be a very interesting first month of the AFL season for, for, for Port Adelaide, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. He's such an even competition that only a few things need to go right or wrong and you could be either at the top or the bottom pretty quickly. Just like the NBL season, John, thanks very much for your time. Good luck with the two games you've got to call over the weekend and get ready for finals. It's not far away. Yeah, looking forward to it. Pleasure to be with you guys. Have a great weekend. Terrific. Uh, John Casey.